this is the Code Sandbox podcast, and I'm your host, Sara Vieira. I'm a senior front-end developer at Code Sandbox. If you don't know already, Code Sandbox is an online code editor that allows people and developers at all skill levels to build amazing projects and apps quickly and collaboratively. We have so many amazing users out there, and I want to highlight their incredible stories. Throughout this podcast, I'll be chatting with some amazing developers and other community members, and we'll be discussing interesting topics like developer relations, project building, and open source software, just to name a few. With this podcast, we want to do more than just talk about Code Sandbox. I hope you can walk away with valuable insights that will help you improve your skills as a developer and as a creator. Let's get started. On this first episode of the Code Sandbox podcast, we're looking at prototyping. Prototyping allows you to test your ideas early, iterate more, and create better products. Whether it's a static site, a component, or a full-stack web app, prototyping is extremely important when it comes to product development. Our guest this week is Charlie Gerard. She's a senior front-end developer at Netlify. We'll talk about building side projects, machine learning, and the process behind writing her new book, Radical Machine Learning in JavaScript. Here we go. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I also want everyone to know that we're doing this recording on International Women's Day, which is super nice. It's actually a holiday here in Berlin. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Charlie. I'm currently a senior front-end developer at Netlify. And in terms of hobbies, if it's around technology, I usually like to play around with human-computer interaction. And outside of tech, I love to go hiking and I listen to a lot of music. And in general, I just, I love to like learn a lot of different things. How did you start coding? Like when did you really start getting into it? So I got into tech by doing a bootcamp. It's a bootcamp called General Assembly. And it was like a 12 weeks intensive full stack bootcamp where I learned a bit of Ruby on the back end and HTML, CSS and JavaScript in the front end. That's where I started learning the basics. And at the time I was thinking I was interested in tech, but I wasn't sure that it was something I could do because I think in my head, I still had the stereotype of like, you have to be good at math and it's something for the boys. But I thought it's 12 weeks. So if I don't succeed, if it's too hard for me, or if I don't like it, I still have my master's degree in communication. So I can still go back and do that. But I actually loved it and I couldn't go back after that. Like there was no way, like once you taste it, you just don't go back. What was the first website or app that you ever made? It was really simple, but it was an assignment, like some kind of homework for my bootcamp. The assignment was called Dancing Cats. I think it was the first JavaScript assignment to make a little cat go like from left to right on a screen. Just that. And the thing is that as soon as I did that, I automatically was like, that's not enough. Like, I want to do more. So in the end, I submitted that assignment and there was just like GIFs of cats going all over the screen. And I added music and there was a galaxy background and stuff. Now the code was probably like horrible. I don't even want to look at it. But it was the first time that I actually used code to do something a bit more playful. So why most of the class had sticked to just like one cat across the screen, like I had gone completely like shopping and it was fun. Like I was just really happy. I think it's probably the first time that I spent like, almost all my night on it just because I wanted to add more and it was fun. So that's one of the very first thing that I did. 
I feel like after all this time, I don't think I've done anything cooler than making a bunch of cats jump on a galaxy. <laughs> it's like, it can be more technically impressive. <laughs> that's different. Okay, yeah. so that's a good start into talking about all the random stuff that you actually make. So when you build these projects, what is your process? I think that my goal when I start a side project is to validate hypothesis. My goal is not for millions of people to use my projects. Usually I have a question in my head. It's maybe I, I'm inspired by a project that somebody else did and I'm thinking, can I do the same thing but in JavaScript? Or I come up with like a brand new idea that I've never had before. The goal of my project is just to see if I can make it work. I don't need it to be a production ready. This is absolutely not my goal. And I think that allows me to frame my project with an end goal. Like I know that I finished the thing when I've been able to answer the question I had at the beginning. And it could be no. Like sometimes I'm glad when I can finish something. And I mean, to me, finishing would be like, yes, my, I can answer my question. This is possible or this is possible in JavaScript. But the answer could also be no. And that means that I also finished the project, but I usually don't share it. I actually should share what I don't finish so people wouldn't waste time <laughs> the same way that I do. <laughs> but sometimes it's also like, I can answer the question. So maybe I pause that project and then I know that I'll get back to it later when I have more knowledge or when I reframe the question in a way that I can actually be achieved. So to me, that's my way of finishing things. Once I have my question and I kind of know what I want to prove, then I can break down the project into small chunks that are doable in my schedule. And that's also why like, I never add tests to my project. I never really refactor them. It's not the goal. If it was the goal, I would rearrange my schedule to make it work, but that's not the fun part to me. What really motivates you to build these things, to learn these new things and stuff? It's the learning part. Over the years, I realized that what truly makes me happy is to learn a bunch of random stuff. I think every time that I learn something new, I get like this rush of adrenaline. And I think that's why even on the job, like I need to make sure that I keep learning. I think I get bored really fast. So that's why I keep building a bunch of random stuff because I love learning. And every time that I build something, I come up with a different idea of maybe mixing technologies together or building something that has been done in another technology and I bring it to JavaScript or I make it interactive and fun. And I think that's what makes me happy. I don't think I could build side projects if it was around something that is maybe like fun, but not fun for me. I want to make sure that I select projects that are truly exciting to me and don't feel like I'm forcing myself to do it. I think there are two types of projects that I've realized that I've done in my life, which is like ones that feel like work, but are yeah. not work. And ones that I'm like, this is cool. I want to finish this. <laughs> but they're not yeah. actually pretty, they're not very useful, but I'm like, this is important. I must finish. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. So it's nice to see that it kind of works in a similar way where it's like, I just want to build this thing. It's not because it's going to be useful. I just want to build this thing. And that's how yeah. I learn things is by building things. Like I learn a lot by prototyping and just building exactly. stuff. That takes us to Code Sandbox. The main reason why I started using Code Sandbox before I joined was to like do a bunch of prototyping and building small projects. Has this been your experience as well? Yeah, exactly. There's a few of my side projects that are hosted on Code Sandbox because I know that if I 
build something in Node.js or an application that's interactive that needs a Node.js server with like WebSockets or something like that, hosting it on Codesandbox makes it really easy because then I can just share the URL and people can see it directly. And to me, like usually when I build something, I like to share a demo. So having something that's easily shareable that people can look at the code and they can fork it and change it themselves. That is something that I really enjoy. I like things to be open. That's why I share everything I do. Like some projects are closed source, but it's usually because I'm, I haven't finished them. <laughs> but otherwise, <laughs> everything is open source. And the fact that people can reuse what I build just by forking one of the code sandbox and redoing their own and adding to it or playing around with the code, it's the other exciting part of why I do what I do as well. In the last couple of years, I think like what, 2018 or something, you started doing a bunch of stuff with machine learning. How did you discover machine learning? I know that I wanted to look into it pretty early on because I think it started at the same time as my experiments with brain sensors and doing mind controlled applications because I wanted to be able to use raw data and build models that would recognize certain of my thoughts to then do stuff in the front end. But as I knew that for my brain sensor experiences, I needed to push it further. I needed to learn a little bit about machine learning that forced me to go into it because I knew that I didn't want to block my experiments because I didn't know something. So I think that as I had an idea of what I wanted to do, I jumped into machine learning with a goal in mind already. But I knew that I needed to start small as well. So I started reading blog posts and I actually started in Python at first with TensorFlow. And then when they released TensorFlow.js, then I was like, no need for Python anymore. And I switched to JavaScript. It meant that it removed a barrier in the projects that I was doing, because instead of learning machine learning and Python, I could remove the Python part. And I still do a bit of Python now, but I don't feel pressured to learn it because I have access to the same thing in JavaScript. So I got into it slowly. When I try to learn any tool, I read some blog posts and a lot of the times the beginner blog posts use the same exact example, but then I quickly moved on to doing something that maybe same was a bit more exciting for me. I struggle to follow a blog post if the end result is not something I'm super excited about. So I quickly switched the input data and the output that I wanted and things like that. And little by little. I built up some knowledge and I came up with more ideas and it's been pretty fun. Do you have any tips for anyone who wants to start with machine learning? Following a tutorial to me is a good thing just to have an idea of really the complexity and then you realize, oh, well, actually it's not what I thought it was. And you don't have to start with TensorFlow. If it's scary to you, there's a few other frameworks like ML5.js that try to abstract because TensorFlow.js introduces some words that you might not be familiar with, but you can start with ML5.js um, if you want. Otherwise, I wrote a book about it if you want to start with that. <laughs> so um, it's written for people who know JavaScript, but who don't know anything about machine learning. And it goes through the few different things that you can do with TensorFlow.js a little by little with project examples. And from there, if people go through the code samples and do the exercises, people can branch off and replace the inputs and the outputs and things like that. So this book is supposed to help beginners. I don't think people can realize the amount of work and effort and energy that goes into writing a book when you want to do it. 
like I don't know how other people do it. My goal was to make it accessible to any JavaScript developer. I really reread my own book so many times because I wanted to make sure that things made sense, that the language that I was using was inclusive and welcoming because I think the sad part was as I was doing research to write the book, I came across so many tutorials where people use language like, well, obviously you do this or like, well, like this is stupid. Don't do it this way. Do it this way. I read so many articles that honestly made me think that obviously nobody's going to look into machine learning if that's the language that people are using. So I really wanted my book to not be like that. And that took a lot of work because I needed to put myself in the position of somebody who would be picking that up for the first time. I want to talk a little bit about doing tech talks. I've also done a couple of tech talks in my day, in my heyday, when I was a sweet summer child. What is your process for writing a talk? I haven't done many talks last year because I struggle with video conferences. But as the world is reopening and I'm hoping to get back on stage at some point, I've had a few ideas or projects that I started and I would like to use that as an inspiration to build a talk. At the moment, I have a project and I think it's interesting and I think it could be helping people to like learn something new. I want to use that as like the driving force to write a talk. But that's a bit more difficult because then I don't have a deadline. I mean, the deadline could be the end of the project I'm working on, but that doesn't really work that way. So I do both and it depends on what I know at the time or maybe how much I want to talk at that conference as well. I don't miss like the dread of like the five minutes before a talk where no one can talk to you or you're going to like punch <laughs> them with your eyes. But I really miss speaking in conferences in general. Like it's something that it's like, I think for both of us, we're people who are very used to just traveling around. It's been interesting, but let's go with that word. That sounds like a good word. In terms of getting started, like, do you have any tips for anyone who wants to get started into doing tech talks, but doesn't quite know how? I never started with uh, conferences straight away. I did a few meetups and same thing. I picked something that I had built that I thought was really fun. And I used my excitement to kind of counter my stress because I had been to meetups before and the topics, they were not what I was building. And I was like, well, maybe I can show what I built and it will be a bit different and whatever. Uh, but I started like that and it was terrifying, but it's also, I was excited. So I was like, you know, I'm going to try this time. And maybe if people really hate it, I'll just never come back. Uh, <laughs> and then from there, I actually repeated the same talk at other events and slowly I applied at conferences, but I got rejected too. You know, I spoke at JSConf, I don't remember which year, 2018 maybe? I was rejected the year before with the same talk. The thing is that the title of my talk was different, but the idea was the same. So you can be rejected one year and not the other. It also depends on what other people have submitted. And if all the talks are about React, then they might want to pick a, one talk that's a bit different or usually more. They try to be quite diverse. But I think my, my tip would be to start at a meetup because there's less of a selection process. Usually you go to the organizer and you're like, I'd really like to talk about my side project or about something that I learned. And from there you practice public speaking. And if you have friends who you know will be honest with you, you can ask for feedback. I think going little by little and believing in your topic, because it means that you will use that as a motivation 
because preparing a talk is also a lot of time. So you have to make sure that you're actually excited. Otherwise, you probably will give up or want to give up at some point. That's my process. I still get rejected sometimes. Can't win all the time. But if it's something you're excited about, somebody will want to listen. One last thing that I told some of my friends sometimes is that when they are scared to apply to speak at a conference, what I've told them is, well, the thing that you can do is apply. Then the, the decision to be selected or not has nothing to do with you. So if you apply or you don't apply, that doesn't change it. But at least if you apply, you do the thing that you control. You don't have to stress about applying because applying doesn't mean being selected. Then if you're selected, you can start to freak out, but that's too late. You're selected. <laughs> but <Not> you, go. <laughs> you can still say no at that point. You can still say, I don't feel it or the time doesn't work or whatever, but at least you did the first step. And sometimes being stuck in that stressful situation of like, damn, I got selected. That actually motivates you to actually do it. But you, you kind of did a part of the work. You can't control who selects or who doesn't. But at least if you are selected, it means that people are interested in your idea and then you can decide to go further or not. And I feel like that has unblocked some of my friends to do the first step. Where can people find you online? Any projects, resources, and please mention your book that people should check out. On Twitter, I'm at devdevcharlie. Otherwise, my portfolio is charliegerard.dev. And then there is a book by a person called Charlie Gerard. She wrote about TensorFlow.js for developers. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. Thank you so much for coming and answering all of my questions. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If you want to find out more information, visit us at codesandbox.io slash podcast. And if you like this episode, please share it on social media as well. Use the hashtag CSPpodcast, or you can send us a tweet at, at CodeSandbox. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, with additional producing help from Ciara Ford. Engineering and editing are courtesy of Resonate Recordings. Special thanks to Charlie Gerard from Netlify, as well as the entire team of Code Sandbox.